Today, we have a very special guest for you. His name is Dr. David Hanscom, and he was a spinal surgeon for 33 years, and he had many of the hardest cases, meaning repeat surgeries over and over and over again. He was like the last stop for people to come to. Now, through his own chronic pain journey, he came to understand as he was healing himself that maybe surgery wasn't the answer. It's not to say nobody should get surgery, but he came to understand the role of the autonomic nervous system and the role of cognitive distortions and repetitive thoughts and how those two things could shift not only the physiology of our bodies, but also shift how we feel if we have chronic pain, if we don't have chronic pain, and basically how we live our lives going forward without chronic pain. And there was one point in the interview today where I said, you know, out of your clients who have tried these methods, like how many of them have actually not ended up needing surgery? And he basically said most of them, if not all of them, could do without surgery. So why not give this a try? It is a fascinating interview. I think it really gives credence to what we do as yoga therapists, because number one, Raja yoga is the yoga of basically our thoughts and watching our thoughts and managing our thoughts and setting our thoughts in the right direction. Then there's the role of the autonomic nervous system. That's Hatha yoga, where we're getting our nervous system in balance. So between Raja yoga and Hatha yoga, we're doing almost everything that he's talking about. And he has his own amazing, unique method to help people work their way through their thoughts and balance their own nervous system. He's coming from a slightly different angle. But to me, this interview gives so much credibility to what we are doing as yoga therapists and the future of healing that when Western doctors start saying, hey, I don't want to just keep giving people surgeries over and over and over again, it's not helping. Only 22% are successful. There's got to be another way. And they end up over here doing a lot of really similar things to what we're doing in yoga therapy. I think that's a good sign for us and for our profession. All right. I introduce you to our guest today. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our episode today is meant to inspire you and empower you. We are so appreciative that you've helped the Yoga Therapy Hour have 100,000 downloads. Season six is going to be the best one yet, and we are so grateful to you, our listeners. Let's go to the show. Welcome to David Hanscom, who's a medical doctor and a surgeon. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So, David, you live in Oakland, California now, but I want to go back and learn a little bit about your history as a spinal surgeon. And as I understand it, that was in Seattle. So, yeah, I just practiced complex spine surgery in Seattle for about 32 years. And there's a four-year break in there where I went to Sun Valley, Idaho. And that's actually where I learned about chronic pain was I went from a tertiary referral surgeon at a major medical center to a primary care back surgeon. 
Mm. And so it was a huge switch. And I got to see back pain from day one in Seattle at Tertiary Center. I just saw people after years of pain. So I had the advantage of just seeing the whole spectrum sort of working backwards. And it was interesting, and I really enjoyed it. And you did that for 35 years? For almost 33 years. Okay. So just to unpack that for our listeners a little bit, it sounds like you started off with these really complex cases, maybe people who had had two or three or four or five surgeries, and you were kind of the final stop to try to help them out of their pain. Right. It took a break, but then you went into people maybe getting their very first surgery. Well, here's what happened. I trained at a very top-level spine fellowship in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I finished there in 1986, and I was on fire. I was one of those really aggressive surgeons, and I felt guilty if I could not find a reason to do surgery. And I did not understand chronic pain. I was trained in the usual model that everything's structural. And we'll get to this later in the conversation. It turns out that hardly anything's structural. Your body is a living organism. Symptoms are created by your body's function and malfunction. And somehow we've decided that bone spurs, tissue generation, stuff like that is actually pathological, and it is not. Those do not cause pain. So I spent eight years being an aggressive spine surgeon. Then the data came out about 1993, about six years, seven years into my practice, that showed that the success rate for a spine fusion for back pain was about 22 to 25%. And I thought it was 90, 95% because it's a very big operation. And I just stopped. I just quit doing that operation, but I didn't know what to do. And so at the same time, I went into chronic pain myself for about 15 years. Went into this headlong plunge into chronic pain, which included migraine headaches, ringing in my ears, burning in my feet, skin rashes, stomach issues, back pain, neck pain, chest pain. I developed severe anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and I did not know what was going on. So since I was a high-level surgeon in Seattle, I had access to every resource you can imagine. We did all sorts of tests, and of course, we could find nothing wrong. And I was just absolutely miserable. And by 2002, I was just flat out suicidal. Mm -hmm. And it turned out in chronic pain, there's lots of suicides. And you're trapped. And the common denominator for suicide is being trapped. And when you're trapped by pain, which is intended to be a very unpleasant survival experience, when you're trapped by pain, what do you do? Where do you go? So I was absolutely miserable. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I came out of it somewhat by accident in 2002, 2003. And I started a simple process. I read a book called Feeling Good by David Burns. I'm a friend of his, and he knows I'm a total fan. And David Byrne said, well, start writing things down. This is just the book, by the way, Feeling Good. And he said to start writing down your what's called cognitive distortions. In other words, most of our human consciousness is based on actually cognitive distortions. So we do emotional reasoning. We feel like something is, is a certain way, so we assume it's that way. We tend to minimize the positive, emphasize the negative. We label, we catastrophize. And one of the most deadly cognitive distortions is should thinking or perfectionism. Mm. And they're all just made up stories, but Mm. our body reacts to them. So I started what's called the three-column technique, where you write down the distortion, you categorize it in one of these 10 categories of thinking, then you write down the more appropriate thought. So it's a wonderful technique, it's a wonderful book, but what I didn't realize for many years was actually the writing 
part of it that was as powerful as the book. So it's now been shown that expressive writing should be write down your thoughts on a piece of paper. The more emotional expression, the better, but it doesn't have to be. And just rip them up. Actually, it's the one starting point that everybody starts to heal. So it started my healing journey in 2001, 2002, and I started to get better for the first time in 15 years. And by six weeks, things were about 70% better, which was unusual. My feet quit burning, the skin rest had slowed down, my anxiety dropped. Then I was going through a difficult family situation and I became incredibly angry. Well, the problem is I didn't think I had anger at all. I was a master of suppressing anger and it exploded. I had to deal with it. I did it badly, but I got through it. Within six to 12 months after I crossed that anger threshold, my symptoms disappeared, every one of them. I don't have migraines, my ears don't ring, my feet don't burn, I don't have skin rashes, my anxiety is essentially gone, my obsessive thought patterns are essentially gone. And I had burning on my feet for 25 years. My ears had been ringing for almost 30 years. And again, nobody could tell me what was going on. I never expected to heal. I just I just assumed this was my life. But the worst part of the whole ordeal were these obsessive thought patterns. And they became very intrusive thoughts. I don't like to use the word obsessive compulsive disorder because every human being by definition has some level of intrusive thoughts. I wouldn't even call them intrusive, but just distracting, disturbing, frustrating parts of them. People talk about monkey mind like it's sort of a joke. It's not a joke because you can't escape these things. So it was after I crossed the anger threshold, I began to heal, including the obsessive thought patterns. I was shocked. Didn't expect it. Since then, I can't, I wish I had kept better data, but at least 1,500 people have healed, maybe two or 3,000 even. And it's not very hard. And we'll talk about why people can heal themselves, which by definition you have to. But the bottom line for me personally, being a major spine surgeon, I was a master of suppressing emotions. So my way of suppressing anxiety was bring it on. I was a perfectionistic, self-critical person, which is an angry factor. Anxiety is vulnerability. Anger is power. And the power of anger actually covers up the vulnerability of anxiety. So I didn't even know what anxiety was until I went from no anxiety to a panic attack at age 37 years old. So it got me in trouble with suppressing emotions, which turned out to be a huge factor in developing chronic pain. So I want to take you back to 2002 when you were reading this book called Feeling Good by David Burns. Were you cognizant that that might be a solution to all those symptoms you described? Or were you just reading it thinking, well, I'm just going to read this because it sounds good. Had you put it together yet that suppressed emotions can cause so many physical symptoms? I had no idea. Zero. I I didn't really understand that until 2009 when a friend of mine, Dr. Howard Schumer, gave a lecture on what's called mind-body syndrome. And I don't use that term anymore, but Howard, I I put a course on called A Course in Compassion, Empathy in the Face of Chronic Pain. And I realized that patients in chronic pain are often labeled as losers, malingers, drug addicts. All sorts of labels get put on them, and nobody likes to be labeled. 
So instead of the doctor-patient relationship in modern times being healing, it's actually very negative. People do not feel safe with their doctors a lot of the time. I'm not saying there aren't compassionate doctors, but the doctors are stressed. We're not given time to talk to our patients. We have a hard time taking the time to actually listen. And for somebody to feel safe, they have to feel like they're being listened to. And, and so I put this course on called The Course on Compassion, Empathy in the Face of Chronic Pain. And Dr. Howard Schumer, who wrote the book called Unlearn Your Pain, started listing all these different symptoms, what he called mind-body syndrome. So I started counting these things. I had 17 of those 33. My wife went up to him afterwards and go, Howard, you know, I have this friend of mine who's got 17 of these 30 symptoms. He says, this is really interesting. And he looks at it and goes, you mean your husband? <laughs> yes. So that moment, I'll never forget that moment. Also, I go, wow. I mean, how do you have 17 different symptoms? That makes no sense. Yeah, I didn't have 17 different diseases. Jumping way ahead of the story, in 2019, I met a Dr. Stephen Porges, who's the author who's called The Polyvagal Theory. And he is a genius in the autonomic nervous system. His wife, Sue Carter, is a genius in the autonomic nervous system with the oxytocin hormone axis. And we learned this in medical school, and I do not understand how we became so off track, but the autonomic nervous system regulates everything. You have the sympathetic nervous system, which stimulates your body. You have the parasympathetic nervous system, which slows things down. They're in constant opposition to each other, just balancing each other out. And under chronic stress, your sympathetic nervous system is fired up and it overwhelms your parasympathetic system. When you can rest and relax, you can calm down and regenerate and store fuels to fight another day. So it turns out that physiology is what caused so sustained fight or flight physiology is what breaks down the body and causes physical, mental, and physical disease. So chronic disease, mental or physical, all has the same root cause. So I didn't understand that until about even six months ago. So when I started this process back in 1990, I, I fell off a cliff, literally, into this horrible hole of chronic pain. And I really went on a 30-year quest to find out what happened. So what happened that a process evolved. I wrote a book in 2012, second edition in 2016, called Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Between that book and my website at the time, we had hundreds of people going pain-free. Then I learned more about the physiology of pain, and I put a process together called the DOC Journey, Direct Your Own Care Journey, very self-directed, more streamlined. People heal faster because I actually understand the problem but it reflects the physiology of the body. So again, when you sustain fight or flight, your body breaks down. It's like driving a car down the freeway in second gear. So fight or flight is necessary for survival. It's a gift, but you have to rest and regenerate to fight another day. So in medicine, somehow 90% of all symptoms, illness, and disease caused by what I call a sustained threat physiology and let me just explain the word physiology is how things function. We have the structure of the body, bones, muscles, ligaments, et cetera. But the physiology is how the body runs. Blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, uh, body chemistry, sodium, potassium. It's the incredible balance of the body. And the unconscious brain that coordinates all this crosses about 40 million bits of information per second. Wow. But think about it. I don't stare at the sun. I shift to my chair. 
my kidneys regulate my, my acid base balance. All sorts of things happen in the body automatically. It's what's called the autonomic nervous system. Guess how much the conscious brain processes? 5%? Something. Or 40. It's a million to one ratio. So it's 40 million bits of information per second, and the conscious brain is about 40. Wow. I mean, my cat's incredible. She can jump a 10-foot fence. She hunts. She looks around the yard. She's very alert. She has a nervous system assessing the environment every second. So the nervous system is what allows all of us to stay alive. Mammals all have very advanced nervous systems. Humans have the additional characteristic of consciousness and language and abstract thinking that my cat doesn't have. So this is where the problem is. And we can jump to what's called repetitive unpleasant thoughts pretty quickly here because the worst part of my experience was my inability to escape these intrusive thoughts. And I was suicidal. It turns out that ruminations are actually a direct link to suicide. I mean, other healthy mammals don't commit suicide. Why do humans? So if an animal is under constant physical stress, they'll give up and they'll die. But you have a healthy human being, all body parts are functioning, yet they still commit suicide. What's all that about? Well, it turns out we get trapped by our thoughts. So the essence of suicide is that you're trapped. It seems like the only way out. And for me at the time, it was. I saw no other way out of this. So there's a direct link between ruminations and suicide. And this inability to escape your thoughts is a problem. But here's the essence of the problem. You say, well, why hasn't medicine figured this out before? Anxiety is a manifestation of your physiological fight or flight. It's what you feel. It correlates with it. So anxiety is a sensation generated by your body being in fight or flight. So it's a driving force that we want to avoid that sensation at all costs because the species of creatures who did not pay attention to those signals just didn't survive. So what happened, anxiety got put into a psychological bucket but remember, it's a million to one mismatch. When you actually talk about your anxiety, you've actually reinforced it because that is where your attention is. So it's a big topic. I don't know if I covered too little or too much right now. You could listen to this interview several times and like make flowcharts for seven or eight different concepts that you just brought together for us. But let's just stay with these kind of ruminating, unpleasant thoughts for just a second. If someone had told you back in 2002 or when, you know, early on that, look, all of your stuff that's happening to you, your chronic pain, your anxiety, your all of it is actually you hurting yourself with your own ruminating thoughts. And, and you can stop this. If you just work on these ruminating thoughts, the itching will go away, all of it. Would you have believed that? Because well, I can imagine a lot of people would not believe that. So it's actually backwards. You cannot control your thoughts, period. Cannot control them. So what medicine missed is the physiology. Right. So you're, when you're in fight or flight from a threat, a bully, or finances, or an abusive relationship, your body goes into fight or flight. Your whole body fires up. Nervous system has excitatory neurotransmitters. Neuroconduction increases. Your brain itself becomes inflamed. You have a hyper-excitable active brain. That brain fires up these thoughts like crazy. Right. So it's the brain firing up the thought, it's not the thoughts firing up the brain. So you can't control your thoughts. Remember, the unconscious nervous system is one million times stronger than your 
conscious brain. So these thoughts are flying out like crazy, and the driving force is the angered, fired up nervous system. So remember, anxiety is simply what you feel when you're in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. When you can't solve it, you kick in a more intense response called anger. They are both physiological states. So by trying to address these massive survival physiological reactions with conscious constructs, it's a complete mismatch. You can't control the physiology, you can't control the thoughts. So you have this fired up nervous system, throwing off thoughts like crazy, Then we also know that thoughts themselves become sensory input that fires up the brain. Yeah. So the brain's fired up the thoughts, the thoughts are firing up the brain, and then what happens with this thing called self-esteem, that we have these uncomfortable thoughts and we try to create these stories about ourselves to help ourselves feel better about this massive survival reaction. And again, it's a million to one mismatch. So I'm going to jump to the solution for a second and then we can work backwards here for a second. Okay. So this is a solvable problem and the mental health world is not considered solvable. So let me just define what I call ruts, repetitive, unpleasant thoughts. So it's the interaction between your nervous system and your body's chemistry or physiology, and physiology is how your body runs. And so it's the interaction between your physiology and your nervous system that causes these thoughts to fire up. So what happens is like taking a hornet's nest and they're just doing their business, building a house, having children, storing food, then somebody comes along and shakes the nest. Of course, the hornets fly out of there and they're on they're aggressive, they're attacked, they're on defense. And so these hornets are out there and you try to get rid of the hornets, hornets with the fly swatter. It doesn't work. So with these thoughts in our brain, we have these bad thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, good thoughts, and there's quadrillions of thoughts. And so doing battle with your unpleasant thoughts isn't going to work. So the answer for the hornet's nest is quit shaking the hive. The answer for your brain is quit and is calm down your nervous system. So as you calm down the nervous system, the thoughts start to drop down. As the thoughts start to drop down, the nervous system starts to calm down. It's a very bi-directional process. So there's four parts to count. Okay, you cannot control your thoughts, but you can, I call them, divert them. So for instance, mindfulness. Mindfulness is where you just place your attention on a different sensation so you go from racing thoughts to a different sensation. There's a form of it called active meditation where just for three to five seconds, you just sit back in your chair for a second, drop your shoulders, feel the chair, that's it. So you just take your brain off your racing thoughts to a different sensation. I call it active meditation. There's, there's another exercise called expressive writing, which I discovered inadvertently earlier in my story. You have to write down your thoughts and you're not trying to solve them because you tear them up instantly and you tear them up for two reasons. One is to not analyze them because they're just thoughts. So it's a separation exercise. And the other reason is to write with absolute freedom. The final thing that you do for thought diversion is cognitive behavioral therapy, where you reframe your thinking, you recognize the distortions, and that also, again, you're diverting the thoughts, but you're not solving the problem, you're starting it. So again, mindfulness, expressive writing, cognitive reframing or ways of diverting the thoughts. The second process is calm down the brain, calm down the nervous system. So you can stimulate the vagus nerve, which is the 10th nerve in your brain, which is highly anti-inflammatory. It's the 10th nerve from your midbrain. So things like slow breathing, breath work, listening to soft music, 
you can rub your forehead. That's the you can actually hum. All those things calm down the vagus nerve, which is highly inflammatory. Good food, good wine, good friends, again, calm down your nervous system. We don't let people discuss their pain or complain or criticize. Again, calming down the nervous system. Forgiveness is a huge deal. If you stay angry, anger is fired up physiology. 90% of people in chronic pain, mental or physical, are still upset at the person or situation that harmed them. So the second stage is, you know, calming down the physiology. Again, I call it anger processing. The third phase is that you learn to live with your survival physiology. So you, you can't control it, but you can regulate it. In other words, you can't control the trigger of becoming anxious or upset, but you can choose how long you want to stay that way. Okay, you're triggered, you're triggered. And see, what I was a master at was two things. When I didn't even recognize I was angry, you have to recognize you're angry first. And second of all, I thought it was psychological and I tried to control it and repress it. Well, I was a master at repressing stress. I was one of the top spine surgeons in Seattle, actually in the country. And I got there by just suppressing everything. It's only recently I found out that suppressing emotions actually shrinks your brain, shrinks the hippocampus of your brain. So, the, so the, again, you have a survival mechanism. You develop a working relationship with your survival physiology. You learn not to take it personally. It's what you have. It is not who you are. Everybody has it. It's 100%. You can't take it personally. It's a gift. So what's not a gift, I call it the curse of consciousness, is that this fired up brain actually causes these insane, crazy, disturbing thought patterns that I call the curse of consciousness. So again, as you calm down the physiology, the thoughts will calm down, but the real healing occurs as you move your consciousness into what you want. And so, so I have a little saying that to have a good life, you have to live a good life. It takes practice. So nurturing, joy, gratitude, good food, good wine, good friends, you're not doing it to distract yourself from the survival physiology, but as you move into what you want, you actually start changing your brain, period. You can actually structurally cause your brain to change whatever direction that you would like. So you're moving away from these circuits, not trying to fix them. The final phase is that survival physiology is unpleasant. We'll do anything to avoid it. We tend to get our identity mixed up with this survival reaction. So we create this thing called ego or self-esteem to feel better about ourselves, right? Well, they're a bunch of stories. Self-esteem itself is a massive cognitive distortion of labeling. Just the word self-esteem is a massive cognitive distortion. So then you have should thinking, which is perfectionistic, self-critical. That never stops. What happens is you learn to live with your survival physiology, develop a working relationship with it. Your ego starts to dissolve because you don't need it. Of course, it's not perfect, but you don't need an identity. You don't need self-esteem. You don't need anything. You just get to enjoy your day. So again, four steps. One is thought diversion. The second is calm down the nervous system. The third is creativity, moving your brain into where you want to go away from the pain circuits. And the final part is that you allow your ego to dissolve. But the biggest factor, I just had another conversation today with a friend of mine, where understanding that you do not have to take anxiety and anger personally, you don't have to feel bad about it because it's supposed to make you feel bad. That's the gift of life. 
the curse of consciousness that your thoughts that are unpleasant are driven by your unconscious brain, not your conscious brain. So the gift of consciousness is you have choice. You have abstract thinking, you have art, you have music, you have companionship. That's the gift of consciousness that you can exercise when you're not fighting off your survival physiology. So it's just there's two distinct parts to healing. One is processing or regulating your physiology. The second part is choosing where you want to go, putting your brain right there. And what the exciting part about this is that your brain is so neuroplastic, in other words, it changes every second, that from this second on, you can program in anybody or anything that you want. You have 100% choice. So that's why when our cardinal rule says, no complaining, no gossiping, no criticizing, because where is your brain? So that's a very fast overview of the healing process, but I'm writing a book called, don't have the name for it yet, I'm, I think I'm going to call it Transcending the Curse of Consciousness, mm. the, next, the Next Evolution of the Human Species. And the reason why I call it that is that emotional pain and physical pain are processed in similar circuits. I just read a research paper last week that shows that humans simply do not tolerate emotional pain. They just do not. And so what happens, the brain will actually choose physical pain rather than emotional pain. And what happens is a huge resistance to giving up your pain. And what I'm realizing after I listened to this paper just last week, that I'm asking you to solve your physical pain so now you can feel emotional pain. Right. And that doesn't sell very well. It doesn't work. So that's why it's a skill set of learning to live with your emotional pain. It takes kindness and repetition. You can't just do it with positive thinking. But you can program your brain to just tolerate more and more unpleasant sensations. As you separate from your thoughts, there's much less impact on your nervous system. And so the reason why they think it happens is that with physical pain, first of all, everybody has some degree of mental pain. That's just universal. That's that's the curse of consciousness. So with physical pain, you can see it, you can validate it. People can feel entitled to protect yourself from other people's expectations, your your own expectations. So somehow physical pain externalizes your internal suffering. The other problem with mental pain is that with physical pain, we have an automatic withdrawal response that we call nociception. With mental pain, there's no protection. So if you experience the pain, it's problematic. You suppress the pain, it's even worse. So then at the very deepest cellular level, the friend of mine, Dr. Bob Navio, pointed out very succinctly, and he's one of the top what's called mitochondrial researchers in the world. And the mitochondria are small parts of each cell that actually generate fuel for the cell to live. And each cell has about 1,000 to 2,000 mitochondria that just generate a lot of energy. So what happens is at the mitochondrial level, Dr. Navio made a very distinct point, that the mitochondria at the cellular level cannot distinguish between mental threat and physical threat. Mm. At the very cellular level. So it turns out that Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disorders, adult diabetes, cardiovascular disease are all metabolic neurochemical disorders, cancer, osteoporosis, Mm. but so is anxiety, depression, OCD, bipolar, and schizophrenia are all inflammatory metabolic disorders. It's all the same thing, chronic threat. Yeah. It's all the same thing. I mean, I'm just blown away. I mean, this is not something that David Hanscom made up. It's been in the literature for at least 30 years, especially the last 10. 
and especially the last five. So in 2009, I quit my practice because I was seeing so many people get completely healed. I mean, their symptoms like mine were, were simply resolving. I don't have migraines. I don't have burning sensations. I have none of those. So not only do people's physical and mental symptoms resolve, they start thriving at a level they never knew was even possible. Because you're not fighting off anxiety and frustration every day. Right. So you, you get to thrive. Now, it's not like one and done. In other words, these are tools you use every day, back and forth, good days, bad days. Sometimes your tools are better than others. Sometimes you have to use a different set of tools. So it just allows you to navigate adversity more quickly, nurture joy more easily, and life just becomes easier process to live. In other words, you become a professional at living your life. So David, let me ask you this, because this is to me where the rubber hits the road with your story, your profession, what you've come to understand about the autonomic nervous system and repetitive, habitual mental patterns. I have so many people in chronic pain say to me, but yes, I have screws in my back or yes, I have a plate in my neck and therefore there's no hope for me. It's a structural done deal and it can never be fixed. Do you think if someone engaged in what you've been talking about today, even with the structural changes and the plates and the screws, I think they could feel at least better. It may not be completely no, fixed, but- Absolutely. I may have one gentleman who had 29 surgeries in 20 years. He's completely pain-free. He has never felt better in his entire life. I have people with three, four, five, six operations, and I will say it's harder to get better with the screws in your back because it's not the screws or the hardware. You can program your brain around anything. I mean, even phantom limb pain. We don't have an arm or a leg. There's nothing there. But you can actually see phantom limb pain completely resolved by reprogramming your brain. See, if you're trying to fix the pain, you're tempted on the problem. Right. So as you move through the circuits and past the circuits, your brain changes dramatically. So I did not think... And I see this all the time now. I did. I thought once a person had one or two surgeries, it was done. And five, 10, I mean, I have one guy, 29 surgeries in 20 years, and the other gentleman, 29 surgeries in 20 years, and they're both pain-free. They're doing fine. I did not think that was possible, but I've also seen with phantom limb pain disappear, burning mouse syndrome disappear. So remember, chronic pain is actually defined as a neurochemical issue it does not have a structural basis at all because your brain memorizes the pain. So the pain circuits are always there. The harder you try to fix them, the more you reinforce them. But you learn to separate from them and then move forward, again, you're moving away from the pain circuits. In fact, I had 127 patients with severe spontanosis, pinched nerves on the surgical schedule. They would have done well with surgery. They had matching symptoms. I call it structural pathology. So I rehabbed her for about 12 weeks before every elective operation, because that's what the literature says to do. So I worked on their sleep, which is a huge deal. We worked on stress. We worked on physical conditioning, diet, those types of things, adjusting medications. We, we educated them about chronic pain in general. In other, words, in other words, you just calmed down their entire nervous system. They canceled the surgery. I had 127 patients cancel surgery because their pain disappeared. Now, I was not expecting that. From a financial perspective, that was quite awkward. You put yourself out of business. I did. I was operating less than 5% of my patients towards and Even people with scoliosis, major, major spinal deformities, as their back pain subsided, they actually stood up straight. 
a lot of them, their, their deformities disappeared because they were splinting for so long. It's not subtle. I mean, see, the, the thing is, people say, what are you talking about? I mean, this is impossible. I mean, how can you do this? Well, I'm not doing it. It's the body knows how to heal itself. It's a miracle. And when you actually regenerate fuel, rebuild your tissues, the body heals at a level you cannot imagine. So I actually tell people, don't believe in David Hanscom. You don't have to believe a word I said today. In fact, you should actually embrace your skepticism because that's what's real. So what you're actually doing is connected to your own body's capacity to heal. And it does. So when you, if you allow your body to heal, it will. Now, but here's the problem. The problem isn't the surgery, is what we call injury conviction. I have an operation, I will never get better. Those circuits become mental pain that become embedded in your brain. So those are solvable if you're willing to engage. So the biggest obstacle we have by far is people simply people's willingness to engage. And people say, well, people want to quit fix. Well, that is not exactly true anymore. So again, going back to this paper I heard last week is that the body does not tolerate emotional pain. So I'm asking you to give up your physical pain so you can actually suffer more from your emotional pain. It doesn't work. So that's where we're trying to understand better to maybe people go through a few months of just breath work, calming down, vagus nerve, massage, and you do a lot of yoga. Mm -hmm. And see, yoga is one of those wonderful things that helps calm down the body. You're connecting to your body. So as you connect your own body, positive and negative, your body starts to heal. That's why yoga is so powerful. And what I, I'll just, I don't want to rant too much, but Western medicine tends to dismiss Eastern medicine. And it's been around for a long time. And the things didn't work, they just sort of disappeared. Right. But when we look at the physiology of Eastern medicine, it's way more attractive than what we're doing in Western medicine. Not that Western medicine can't do some wonderful things, but 90% of things that we're doing in Western medicine on chronic disease. Acute disease is different, but chronic disease doesn't work. So we're actually hurting people badly. So with Eastern medicine, we're actually using calming techniques that are powerful. People actually heal. And I'm sure I'm sure you've actually witnessed this a lot. So there's far more science between acupuncture, EMDR, yoga, light touch therapy, chiropractic care, light touch massage, medical hypnosis, all these things simply calm down the body, which changes the body's chemistry dramatically. So remember, in fight or flight, you're consuming resources. You're mm -hmm. pulling fuel out of the cells, and eventually the cells break down and you get chronic disease. So as you learn to what we call relax and provide cues of safety, again, not psychological, you're inducing a physiological state of safety. Your body actually regenerates fuel, it builds in. Yeah. And so yeah, so let, let me give you one example with exercise, for instance. We had a lecture a few months ago on a gentleman who's a tremendous amount, his whole lifetime has been spent on the benefits of exercise. And he showed us some slides of the skin that after about a year of, I don't remember the amount of exercise, that as you get older, your skin gets thin and your what's called the subdermis narrows down. You have the epidermis, dermis, and subdermis. But he showed on these histology slides that the subdermis actually regenerates. It's like Botox. We looked at the slides, and again, no subdermis. And then we looked at the slides a year later, and it was almost back to normal. So that's what I find inspiring, is that just watching the body heal. Again, it's not me. It's you allowing your body to heal. So what you're doing, you're learning tools. 
to navigate adversity and gender joy, which is also a learned skill, not psychological, physiological. The higher percent of time you spend in safety versus threat, the more chance you have of healing. Now, what you have to be careful of, and where the trap comes into play, people say, oh, I tried yoga and it didn't work. Well, nothing works by itself. It's part of a whole process of diet, exercise, sleep, no, no complaining, expressive writing. All these things add up. So expressive writing by itself, that doesn't work. Mindfulness by itself, that doesn't work. So everything has an effect, but each person has, has to combine their own set of resources in order to get their body in safety. So if you're trying to fix yourself, your attention's on the problem, you're reinforcing the problem. If you're trying to become an expert in skills to actually manage your life and manage your physiology, that's where the healing occurs. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I feel like, as you and I have talked about, the, the yoga traditions, although many people know yoga as asana and exercise and stretching and strengthening and relaxation response, that's such a tiny part of what's laid out you know, in terms of how do you interact socially? How do you take care of yourself every day? We call that the yamas and the niyamas. And then, you know, what kind of postures will you do to make your body feel better? What breathing exercises will you do? What type of meditation will you do? You know, the, the yogic system, the alien path of the yogic system actually addresses most of what you're talking about, all the changes right. we need to make, which right. I find very beautiful. Right. I don't want to rant too much, but you know, medicine, Western medicine has this arrogance that this, what you're talking about, is just nonsense. It's just not true. I mean, you're connecting to your own body's capacity to heal, and that's what your processes do. But again, even with your processes, if you're trying to fix yourself, it doesn't work. You're just doing it to do it and let things happen. I mean, letting go is a big part of the process. As you well know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. But you go through the processes. You allow yourself to feel. You feel good. You feel bad. You just allow yourself to feel, and you become just aware. And the key to this whole central process is awareness. Anytime you're anxious or frustrated, something in the present triggers something from the past, and you've lost awareness. Yeah. Again, going back to the ruts, it's a huge problem because we can't escape our thoughts. And so they come at us, which take us out of awareness. And then we try to suppress them, which is even worse. We also know in fight or flight physiology is that your thinking brain actually gets down regulated. It doesn't work as well. So you can't even think clearly. Yeah. And so the process you're describing helps bring you back online to actually start thinking clearly, allowing your body to heal. So again, it's based on really basic physiology. There's a lot of science behind what you're doing. Actually, way more science behind what you're doing than what we're doing. Well, and I have a really hard question for you that I always try to get a, a difficult one in here, but we say, according to yoga philosophy, that people kind of get over-identified with, we call it asmita, and they they get over-identified with something like I'm kind of a victim of chronic pain or like I'll never find joy in my life or, you know, there's many things we could identify with. How do we convince people to give this a try? Cause it's going to work. 127 people did not get spinal surgery. We know this is going to work. It's been around right. for thousands of years, but how do we move them from this state of complaining and negativity and it's not going to work and I'm broken and my life is over 
to try to get them to, to try it. You can't. They have to do that. I, I don't know. I tried the, I asked that question for 20 solid years. So especially if somebody, we call it becoming your pain, if you become your Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, or you become a fibromyalgia, that becomes your, your chronic pain becomes your identity. There's nothing I can do. I've tried everything. The more I talk to a person about their chronic pain, they get more and more defensive and they get, they get more angry and actually go into more pain. So that's what I'm saying is that I hypothesize that I think just yoga, without even trying to teach them anything, just allowing them to calm down, we call it co-regulation. I think your ending point comes with helping people just cope with their pain first. Because the other problem I find out, if you try to say, look, we can solve your pain, in a way, it's a critique of them right now. In other words, right. you're not good enough the way you are. We need to fix you or you need to fix yourself. And the thing that's, that's so ironic about solving chronic pain is that there's no place to go. Every day has good days and bad days. There's no goal here. The goal is just to connect with what is, whether it's good or bad or both. So if somebody is fired up and angry, their thinking brain is offline, that process, the neurochemical process, actually blocks treatment, right? right? So <laughs> that's what I do not know what to do. And so I do think it helps people understand their anxiety and anger are physiological. That's a starting point. In other words, people will identify with their pain. Then we talked about the ruts, like I'll never heal. Well, that's a cognitive cognitive distortion of catastrophizing or labeling, or I'm a loser, or they're angry at the medical profession. And the problem with failed surgical patients is harder to allow them to heal because they're so angry at their surgeons. So the research actually shows that when you repeatedly dash hopes, you induce a depression. So how many times do you have to have your hope dash before you actually just become totally depressed? Then we also know that depression itself is an inflammatory metabolic state, not psychological. Yep. So the thing I've seen be most effective when people realize that anxiety and anger are gifts, keep us alive. You don't have to take those personally. You can separate your identity as a person from them. Then you learn to tolerate the ups and downs of your physiology then just a little bit at a time to start nurturing joy. The problem is when people are trapped, they are so angry, so frustrated. Dr. Sarno called it rage, that they're really offline. And it's just hard to even crack the door open even just a little bit. So I'm always searching for that. I never close the door. I learned to wait people out. One of my best pain specials I worked with just waited people out three months, six months, a year. Whereas in modern medicine, we tend to just rush, push. We don't solve it by now, we're done. So that's an excellent question. But again, the disease itself, threat physiology, shuts down the neocortex of the brain. People cannot access their thinking brain. Right. From your perspective, I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but just being with people, being present, that's, that's all that's you can it. do. Honestly. Right. That co-regulation that Porges talks about right. in the beginning, it's just, I'm here with you. I understand right. you. I hear you. But I find that as soon as I feel like the trust is enough to say, and I think we can help you turn a corner, there are many, many people 
that eject at that point. They eject. Like when I start talking about how can we build joy in your life? How can we nourish you? How can we kind of balance out these scales a bit? That is foreign to them. They feel like, how could I possibly cultivate joy and nourishment when I'm feeling so terrible? And I say, that's precisely why you should, but it's almost like, I don't want to say an attachment to the the suffering state, but oh, it is. a loss of hope for sure. Yeah, yeah no, it is. It, first of all, ain't, so, okay, I call it the power of pain. Pain's addicting. Mm. It's powerful. You're in victim mode. We know that people that are angry actually, okay, here's a, I'll just give you one example. This gets a little complicated. So anger is a very powerful state. It's addicting, it's powerful, and we're geared to survive. So we do not like being vulnerable. So even though they're both physiological states, the feeling of anger actually covers up the feeling of being anxious or vulnerable. So number one, people do not like to feel vulnerable. Secondly is that <clears throat> they've done studies showing that kids who are bullied, in other words, trapped, have very high inflammatory markers compared to the norm. Guess what? The bullies have significantly lower inflammatory markers than normal. In other words, there's a physiological reward for being a bully. The research also shows that if you're angry and you win, your inflammatory markers drop. If you're angry from being trapped, your inflammatory markers go straight up. So that's the problem if you're in pain, you're entitled, you're angry. You may not be powerful, but you feel powerful. There's a dopamine component to it. So it's truly addicting. And in addition to not tolerating emotional pain, remember the anger is also protecting you from emotional pain. So protection from emotional pain, it's powerful. You feel powerful. You may not be powerful, but you feel powerful. It is a dopamine component that's addicting. People do not want to give up their pain. Yeah. So that's where I have learned that the less I say, the better. People will eventually come around to me if they're ready, or when they're, I'll say the word, when they're ready. And I don't know what it is that creates that shift. It, just, it doesn't take much of a shift to start the healing process. I had one guy walk in the office years ago before I knew much about this, where he said he started the process. He said he was a very, very angry guy. And he walked in one day and says, I'm getting depressed. He said, I would rather be angry than depressed. And he walked out of the room. That was it. So yeah, the, so and again, depression is vulnerability, anxiety, et cetera. It is again, inflammatory state. So again, people are addicted to pain. Mm, that's super helpful. And I think just being a solid, stable nervous system co-regulating again and again and again. Right. I think eventually they'll, they'll be like, okay, let me try this. <laughs> <laughs> right. One of the other big factors for people healing is their families. Mm. So I used to think that people would be so ecstatic that they didn't have this person complaining all the time. Their their family member was healing. They should rejoice in their success. A hundred percent of the time, families resist the change because mm. you're changing roles. Right. Whereas they're either a victim of the other person's pain or they're the person who's a caretaker and they're in control. So it boils down to control and the family dynamics will pull you right back into the hole. Mm. So if you're the person in chronic pain, and I, mean, I can't begin to tell you the stuff I saw in the office with people in pain just dictating the entire house, take care of them, lots of control. 
So they can be either intimidating or helpless. Either one works pretty well. And it's brutal. And then you would think the families would come want to come out of the role that it, I'm not sure why it happens, but the families resist the change. And they pull them right back into the hole. It's unbelievable. I mean, so, the family has the, to change too. It's right. more comfortable so, to be familiar. Right, right. So anyway, lots of layers to resistance Ooh. to change. With the yoga work, it's a great entry point. I think we've already talked about this is as long as people understand it's part of the journey, not the final solution, just like there's no part of this journey is a final solution, it's a remarkably effective starting point. Thank you for that. I appreciate, you know, a Western medical trained doctor and excellent surgeon, you know, recognizing that we actually do have some great solutions and so do you. So I want to go to your website, David Hanscom dot com h-a-n-s-c-o-m dot com and tell us what you have coming up how could we get to know you better how could we work with you do you do private practice do you have workshops what, so what i'm just doing? lecturing and writing right now i'm not seeing patients i'm not doing consultations but you go to the if you just hit the resources button on the top there mm-hmm. right there just hit that so and just scroll down a little bit. There's an app on the left, which is based on our workshops, which have been quite successful, based on awareness, hope, forgiveness, and play. Then on the right side, there's a computer-based course, which is a little bit geared more towards anxiety and ruts. Each one of those is maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day. It's a matter of learning the skills to, again, deal, deal with survival physiology and nurture joy. So it's 10, 15 minutes a day. It's like learning how to play the piano, Either one of those has been very effective in showing people how to heal. So one's called the DLCJourney.com, Direct Your Own Care Journey. The other one is Direct Your Own Journey app. And uh, those have been effective. Let's scroll down a little bit farther. Okay, that's that right. That's the doctrine website. Mm-hmm. And hit hit the go back up again for a second. It says what symptoms can the doctrine relieve? Can you hit that arrow for a second? So again. Look at the list, neck pain, shoulder pain, repetitive stress, carpal tunnel. This is no joke. These symptoms disappear. I had one woman at a workshop with 24 different symptoms. I actively decided to try to get her out of the workshop and I thought she's not going to do well. And she'd been in chronic pain for 10 years. She's now 80 years old. She's been out of pain now since 2013. Remarried, doing great. So all, all of her, so again, this, it, People say, well, again, how can you have so many symptoms? Well, again, when your body's in fight or flight, every organ system is going to manifest it in its own way. So I have the book back in control. I have the websites, have the app. I do coach twice a week through the doc journey for one-hour sessions. Wonderful. And I, it's been incredibly rewarding to see people heal. I'm currently writing a book called, again, Transcending the Curse of Consciousness. And it's about ruts, repetitive, unpleasant thoughts. And we talked about the four parts of healing that. And again, just a quick review of that is thought diversion, calming the nervous system, creating joy, and then dissolving the ego. It's a solvable problem. So these repetitive thoughts can be the worst part of the whole process. So I'm very excited about the book. I'm starting to see people heal already from the concepts we're presenting. And that has been very, very exciting to me. Yes. Well, I am 100% behind everything that you're doing. I think it's fantastic. I think we need people like you out there 
saying this message, like this is the future of healing ourselves. It may not be the future of Western allopathic medicine, but it is the future of healing ourselves. So I'm really grateful for you and for the life journey that you've endured and are now flourishing in. And I just want to thank you for coming. It's, I, I think it's very validating to many of us who've been in the Eastern sciences and and healing modalities to hear someone like you reflect back to us that this is true yeah no it's been really eye-opening for me personally so no i really really appreciate the time to talk to your audience thank you so much david and i hope many people will sign up and get the app and read the books and take your online courses with you in the coaching so thank you so much thank you Thank you to Dr. David Hanscom for coming today and giving us so much information. We probably gave you all as the listeners too much information, but I think you can kind of pick out the salient themes, which are that mental health and physical health basically come from the same place. The root cause of suffering, whether it ends up as mental or physical, is the same, and that there is something we can do about it. And I also thought it was really interesting. He said people would rather feel physical pain than emotional pain. And that the way back home again to our true natures, to our true selves, is to work your way through the physical pain, balance your autonomic nervous system, start to work with those repetitive, unpleasant thoughts, start to build joy, you're going to run into the emotional pain that you were repressing or trying to not feel. You're going to get depressed. After you manage the anger, you're going to get depressed, but then you're going to have a breakthrough to the other side where there's more joy. So kind of letting our clients know that, hey, you're going to probably have to go through the physical layers of your suffering, the mental, emotional layers of your suffering, and you know, there is something good waiting for you on the other side of that. We have to give them hope. We have to let them know this hopefully will not be another dead end for you. This is a system that's been working for thousands of years. And Dr. David Hanscom's system has been working beautifully with his clients. Let's try it. What do we have to lose? Let's find more joy together. So I love this message. I approve this message. I think it is a podcast that we could give to a whole lot of our clients and family members and let them know, look, even Western allopathic medical doctors believe in what we believe in. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't need their approval. Maybe we should just take our thousands of years of yoga philosophy and know that we're good enough and and we can heal people, but it doesn't hurt to have someone like Dr. Hanscom say, yes, that's what we're doing here. Another thing I wanted to point out, if you're looking to regulate your nervous system, we have the 12 days of yoga nidra free course. All you have to do is contact us and we'll put that in the show notes where you can do that. That will help to regulate your nervous system. It's it's 12 days of different meditations every day. And we'd love to give you that course for free. And then the second thing that I want you to know is that our mobile app, Optimal State mobile app 2.0, meaning the first one, we had a lot of glitches, but now we are on track. 
And it basically looks like this if you're watching the video. It's for iPhone and Android. You get your first three weeks free. You can track your mental emotional state, your burnout state, your physical somatic, your pain, your body image, all sorts of things. And then get basically your data. You can see what times of day you are in the most pain or not in the most pain. When are you feeling really good and mentally, emotionally? It gives you ideas on how to feel better mentally, emotionally, and physically, somatically. And we're going to start having classes and all sorts of interactive things on there soon. So go ahead and check it out. Just find it on any app store, Optimal State mobile app. And we would love to give you that free gift of three weeks to try it out. Okay, everybody have a great day. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. If you've enjoyed this program, there's a few things you can do to help us. You can share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family. You can give us a great rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. You can support us on Patreon. And you can download the Optimal State mobile app and start using it to track your own nervous system. All of these things will help us to produce and give you the gift of the Yoga Therapy Hour for many years to come. Thank you, our listeners, for supporting us. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.